Good morning, and welcome to Grace Harvest Baptist Church on this beautiful Sunday morning as we've come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what Sunday is about. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. We should never forget that fact and preach the gospel to ourselves daily. I pray that you were able to attend Sunday school this morning. If you have not, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, many options to choose from uh, here at Grace Harvest. And, and welcome to visitors here today. There, we have several today. Uh, thank you for coming to join us. And as well as those online, uh, we are uh, in our third uh, sermon in the um, End Time Sermon Series and I, I want to make a little bit of an announcement. I told you originally it would be 10 weeks. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be 11 or 12 weeks, uh, but I know it's probably not going to be 10 weeks because I made a decision this week. Instead of trying to, to, to rush through and get all the information uh, in in a condensed form at the 830 service, uh, the Sunday school teachers put me on a, on a hard stop time. They, you know, they, they, I tried to do last week where we went till. Um, uh, quarter till for the Sunday school to start, and and I appreciate that. But they they work really hard uh, to study, and I want to honor those men and women who uh, study. So uh, today I I, I quit uh, at a certain spot in the sermon for the uh, eight o'clock service, and I will stop there as well uh, today. But it doesn't mean my illustrations won't go a little longer today at the eleven o'clock than they did at the eight. But anyway, thank you guys for joining us today. Um, you know, as we as we open up open up your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 24. You're going, Pastor, when are you going to actually get into the book of Revelation? Well, one of the things when you talk about the end times, it's not all just in Revelation. And uh, we can get fixed on that. Now, we're not going to be afraid to go to Revelation. We're going to spend a great deal of time in Revelation, especially when I talk about the seal judgments and the bowl jump, uh, judgments and the trumpet judgments. But uh, this morning, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 24. 3 through 21, as we give a basically an introduction into the, the tribulation period. I don't know if some of you may have watched the Super Bowl last week or you saw some of the ads or you've heard the, the controversy. You would never think in a day and age that we live in that there would be a controversy over uh, an, an ad in the Super Bowl. You wouldn't think there would be, right? Well, there was, and the, and the controversy was over an ad um, that talks about um, uh, Jesus gets us, basically. And um, I personally didn't see the ads, uh, but uh, I, I saw clim- uh, clips of them throughout the week. And one that they said was a picture of during our racial tension of uh, back a couple of years ago and people yelling and screaming at each other. And what the advertisement said was, Jesus loves those we hate. Pretty controversial, isn't it? Jesus loves those we hate. It's the message of Scripture, right? It, Jesus tells us as Christians to love our enemies, uh, not to, to repay evil for evil. And yet, this was, this was a, a, a big deal uh, to some. It, it's, it's amazing to me. AOC came out, and, and she was upset about it. And Joy Reid came out and said that the, the producers of this were, were conspiring to send out right-wing uh, Christian doctrine, basically. And I'm thinking, what's this right-wing doctrine they're talking about? Well, what they're talking about is Scripture. And when God says something is evil and wrong, if we point that out as Christians, somehow we are fearful and hateful. But what should we expect with a, with a nation? And please don't ever tell me that America is a godly nation. We are as pagan as they come. Uh, how many do you think countries around the world have uh, a man that's in charge of their transportation, uh, National Secretary of Transportation? He's the f- first openly gay cabinet member. Uh, Rachel Levine, uh, I don't know what his real name is, it's a he, who says that he's a woman, dresses as a woman. He's Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Dis- uh, Disposition excuse me, in, in the Office of Nuclear Energy for the Department of Energy. Uh, so, excuse me, I got that one wrong. He is the, he is the, uh, he's the one with the health department. Um, it's the, it's the, uh, it's Sam Brinton. He's, he's out there and he's part of the government and he's also, uh, he was 
Uh, you probably saw him in the news. He was the one that was arrested for stealing luggage, and he dresses as a woman, has a mustache, a bald head, and uh, Biden administration uh, hired him to, to be involved in our waste management and, and spent fuel stuff, and he's the one that did that. And uh, he's, he makes no bones about it. He does drag queen shows, and, and this is in our government, folks. These are people in position of authority, and the news people get upset because there's a commercial that says Jesus loves people we hate? Why would that cause offense? Well, it causes offense because it doesn't play into the, near, uh, the evil narrative of the world. And Christian, you are the salt and light in this dark place. It has become a place that is so perverse and so evil that you open up Romans 1 and you go, this is us. We have been turned over to a depraved mind. You were the one that's looked at as a bigot or a homophobe or anything else. Uh, it, it, you know, when, when Christians, when I, you know, 17 years ago this month, the Swift Creek Baptist Church uh, approved our church to be a church plant. 17 years ago. And, uh, and, you, and, you, and you think about when, when we set apart, and I remember one of the things, the first things I did, when people came and asked when they ordained me as a pastor, and I had people wanted me to marry them. And, and my first question to one is, are you a believer? And they tell me their testimony, yes, I'm a believer. And next question I would ask, are you living with each other? And they say, yeah. Well, you realize that's sin, right? You, what? You realize that God says that to live with somebody who's not your spouse is sin. And people looked at me like there was something wrong with me. So I just, the reason I bring that up is because I don't want you to think that, God, that I'm, I'm one of these preachers that just says homosexuality is an abomination and that we need to, we need to, to, to be all over their, their space and domain. I'm telling you that we need to look within ourselves and say, what do we condone as sin in our own lives that makes the world think that we're a bunch of hypocrites? You see, that homosexual, the person living together, the, the, the trans person, male or female, these people need Christ. And you are the one that's telling them the truth. Don't let the world silence you. And Pastor, why are you saying all this? Well, I'm saying all this to you because we're getting ready to really dive deep into what this tribulation period is about and how the world is getting ready for it and why it shouldn't surprise you why they hate us so much as we draw near to that time. So if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, Matthew 24, verses 3 through 21. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 21. Now as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time will fall away, excuse me, and at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the render understand, excuse, reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out there in the house, in his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. 
nor ever will. Father God, we have come, your people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, have come and gathered this morning. We have, we have prayed together, Lord. We have studied your word together. We have gathered and sung praises to your name. We have given our first fruits back unto you, Lord. And now we come to the proclamation of your word. Lord, I pray that through this teaching and preaching today, Father, that you would be glorified. That your children would be encouraged, Father, in the hope of your return. The hope of everlasting life for us. I pray, God, that through all of this you would receive the glory for it. And if there's one here that is in this place this day or listening online now or in a future date, Father, I pray that you bring that soul to saving faith. I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You know, as we deal with these end times, we will be spending a lot of time, as I said earlier, in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has always presented the interpreter with challenges. This book is steeped in vivid, vivid imagery and symbolism, which people have interpreted differently depending on their preconceptions of the book as a whole and also their eschatological viewpoint. There are four main interpretations uh, approaches to the book of Revelation. You have the preterist view, which sees all or most of the events in Revelation as having already occurred in the end of the first century. So they believe, they take the stance that, the, this, that what we read about this morning took place in 70 A.D. But the whole problem with that is when Jesus says at the end of the verses I read today, this hasn't occurred since the beginning of the world and until now and never will be. We have a, had a lot worse happen in this world than just the Roman conquest of Jerusalem. And so the, the, next, the next viewpoint is the, the one that takes history into account, the historiast, which sees Revelation as a survey of church history from apostolic times to the present. So they'd look at it just as an historical event. And then you've got the idealist viewpoint, which sees Revelation as a depiction of the struggle between good and evil. There's this just, this, all this is, all the book of Revelation is, all, the, all these Bible verses that we see have nothing to do with really end time events. They're just saying it's the struggle between good and evil. So the one that we hold to, the futurist view, which sees Revelation as prophecy of events to come. Of the four, only that view, that interpretation of Revelation is in line with grammatical, historical method of studying Scripture. And so we take that historical, grammatical viewpoint when we study Scripture, when I preach God's Word, when I study God's Word. I take, the lit I take it literally when God said He created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. I believe literally that God will reign for a thousand years. I believe literally there will be 144,000 witnesses. And so that's the view that I hold to here and we teach and preach at Grace Harvest. We are told in Scripture about the two comings of Christ. The, his first coming was when He died for our sins and the second coming is when he will reclaim what is his. Why did Jesus have to come in the first place? Why, why, what's the big deal? Why, why couldn't he just come once and just say, Hey, uh, Satan, we're going to put you in your place and uh, every knee will bend and every head will bow and you'll, uh, will, you'll acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Well, there's something that had to happen before that. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, and we're guilty against sinning against the Holy God. Every one of us born of woman was born into sin. We, we are born sinful. Those little ones that you're holding in your laps right now and you're looking in their eyes and you're going, Pastor, you don't know my little baby. Yeah, I do. Because I have five of them and I know exactly how they do. And we love them and we will always love them. Even when they are rejecting Christ as adults, you still love them and you still pray for them. But you never give up living Christ in front of them. You don't compromise your faith because of what your children do or don't do. And, and so when I say that, why, why? Why why is this so important? Well, God said that there's a penalty for sin. This, his anger has to be appeased against sinful man. 
And you would think that a God who created heaven and earth and everything in it, told the mountains how high to be, where the oceans to stop, gave you the very breath in your lungs, who says that he knows the, the two sparrows that aren't worth a penny, and yet not one of them falls out of the sky without the Lord knowing about it, that he knows every hair on your head, he knitted you in your mother's womb, he loves us so much that he doesn't demand his anger and wrath be poured out on us. We deserve the cross. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And yet God in His mercy sent His Son to take our place. And so at that first coming, Jesus, fully God and fully man, preached Christ Himself. He preached Himself. He told us how to, to live and the great Sermon on the Mount. And all those things He called man to repentance. Come to repentance. Come to repentance. Acknowledge your sin against the Holy God, just as the thief on the cross did. Recognize Jesus as the Savior of God. The Bible tells you you're saved. And so we who are believers, we rejoice in His first coming. And we rejoice thinking about His second coming. But if you don't know Christ today, I, I beg you, I beseech you, study the book, open it up, ask questions, ask God to reveal Himself to you. Because if you die without Christ, you will spend eternity in hell apart from Him. And there's no greater thing that drives this mere man to proclaim the gospel than the fear that people I know will spend eternity in hell. And so as we anticipate His second coming, as we realize He died for us at His first coming, He's not left us here by ourselves forever, the, the, the time... That the, the, between the resurrection and the ascension of our God until the time He comes back, the church age, before He takes His church back in the rapture, as, as, he, as, as that period of time, that is a time that evil will be here and is here and will try, if possible, even to deceive us as Christians. That's why the church is so careful about who preaches and who teaches, or they should be. you got to realize that Satan doesn't send his ambassadors in saying that Jesus isn't the Son of God. He comes in saying, did Jesus really say that? You're being too critical. Jesus is all about love. Just look at the progressive Christian movement and you can see a false gospel being proclaimed. So as we look at the past 2,000 years, we can see that there has been religious deception. There has been natural catastrophes and disasters that have occurred. And there has been persecution of the people of God all throughout those 2,000 years. Folks, we live in a bubble of time. We live in a bubble of time here in this country where God has allowed us to form a nation that was based on Him for a period of time. We don't live in a godly nation anymore. It's pagan. It's as pagan as any Greek culture ever was. If I used to think... I remember as a boy, and people who know me know I'm, I love my history. I love ancient history. I love the study of, of, of the Roman Empire. Fascinated by it, even from my youth when I wasn't a Christian. And I thought, and, and I always, my dad always told me, he said, you know what destroyed the Roman Empire that lasted a thousand years? It was decadence from the inside. It was depravity from the inside that made them weak. And susceptible. And so we look at our country who God has allowed for, for over 250 years to be able to, to, to send missionaries out to, to, to spread the gospel here and around the world. Now what has happened is it's, it's done a complete inversion in the sense that now evil is what's portrayed. And if you talk about the things of God, you're portrayed as the bigot. You're portrayed as the one that has hate speech. You know, you'd be surprised, and most of you have seen this on social media, where, where when uh, they'll ask and say something about a person speaking on a college campus because he speaks out against something that God says is sinful, it's hate speech and they don't want him to speak. And so when somebody asks these students, well, well, don't you want them to have freedom of speech? They don't have the freedom to use hate speech. That's the whole point of free speech, folks, is you're allowed to say things that other people don't like in this country. But it will be, it'll be nipped away and, and chiseled away to the point where you, you won't be able to do I won't be able to stand here and say what I said today without being in fear of arrest. 
But men of God will stand in pulpits all across this land and say it, even if they're arrested. And yet th- this is what's going on, and, and, and we've been in this bubble, now we're on the outside. Now we're experiencing, we're starting to experience what our brothers and sisters have experienced for 2,000 years. What our brothers experience are experiencing in China and North Korea and in Iraq and Afghanistan and Iran. You're starting to, you're starting to see what they go through. And, and we don't, shouldn't think of it as something strange happening to us. And Jesus said this was how it would be, and this is exactly how it would be and how it is as well. He told us this is, this is it's going to happen. And as we study God's Word, we're going to see He's going to tell us what to expect. So over the next five or six weeks, we will answer three important questions when it comes to the tribulation. When does it begin? Who is involved? And what happens? When does it begin? Who is involved? And what happens? Before I get there, though, I want to give a little bit of an introduction to the tribulation period itself. And we're going to go uh, grab your Bibles and, and go to Daniel for me, please, as I'm speaking to you. We're going to, we're going to be down in Daniel chapter 9, so I'll give you time to get there as I, as I share some things with you. So let's talk about the tribulation before we start answering the questions. The tribulation is a future seven-year period of time when God will finish His discipline of Israel. That's one of the main purposes of this seven-year period of time is to discipline Israel and finalize His judgment on the unbelieving world. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't do something about all the stuff that's going on now? You know, we we look at it and we scratch our heads. You know, it reminds me... And I don't know if they still share this story or you share this story with your homeschoolers, the, the, the story of the emperor's new clothes. And, you know, the emperor, is, he's naked, right? And, and, and nobody's, everybody's afraid to tell the emperor that he's naked. Everybody, oh, they just bow down. Oh, it's beautiful. you got great clothes. And, and, he, and he marches down in the parade and everybody's just, oh, you look wonderful. You look wonderful. And some little kid walks out and goes, he's naked. Don't you feel like this is what we're living in now? That's a man dressed as a woman. We have a Supreme Court justice now sitting on the bench was asked to find a woman. I can't do that. Really? Did you ever think in your lifetime, and she's an educated woman? I know why she did it. She knows. She just didn't want to upset the base. Of those people who, who said, well, you know, there's something wrong with you. That's hate speech if you don't let anybody be what they want to be. So it's, it's, it's just crazy what's going on. And, so, and, and God is saying, don't worry, church. I'm in control. There will be a reckoning. And so, Christian, we live in that warning now. We live in that warning time. Of the reckoning that will come. Now we as Christians, we don't have to worry about it. Your soul is secure. If if for some reason, 20 years from now, we got to this place and they're taking Christians out before before the rapture, and we start suffering severe persecution, where they're throwing us in jail, and have hit squads going around and killing preachers or or anybody they think is is spreading this stuff, it does. Don't fear that. What? What did God warn us about? Don't fear the person that can kill the body. Fear the one who can send the soul to hell. You belong to Him if you're a believer. If you're a Christian, you belong to Him. There's nothing. You know, all they can do is kill you. Right? <laughs> well, Pastor, that's pretty rough. <laughs> but that's all. That's all. See, the problem with too many of us is that we, we're so concerned with the here and now and what I can get out of this life that we're, we're really not excited about God coming back. We're really not. We want to make sure. Well, wait a God, can you just wait a little while? You know, I'm in the process of just getting married or just having a family or just finishing school or starting this new job. Pastor, it's easy for you to say you're an old man. You just go on. Get out of here. But folks, as Christians, we ought to understand that, that we should ha- anticipate that no matter what. You know, Stephen was a young man. He's probably in his 20s, late teens or 20s. When he sat there in front of the Sanhedrin and he preached Christ and Him crucified. Had his whole life ahead of him. And they stoned him for it. Stoned him. And what did they say? The Bible tells us he had the face of an angel. Face of an angel. Folks, God gives us that peace. 
for us to live in this world not with hate and spewing hate, but to love and show the love of Christ even when they stone us. The church will be saved from the wrath to come when the, when the tribulation period comes. And that's the thing we rest in. We know that we won't be through the worst of it. The church was, is removed from earth an event known as the rapture, and I preached on that two weeks ago. If you haven't been here, haven't been able to watch it, it's online. You can see it. You can catch up to the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ. And so the church is saved. We, the church is saved from the wrath to come. Throughout Scripture, the tribulation is referred to by other names. And here are some of the names that, that, uh, that the tribulation is called. In Isaiah 2.12, it's called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 4.30, Deuteronomy 4:30 it's called the day of, it's called trouble or tribulation. In Matthew 24:21 it's called the great tribulation, which refers to the more intense second half of the seven-year period, the time of the day of trouble, the time of the day of trouble Daniel 12:1 tells us. And then Jeremiah 30 verse 7, Jeremiah 30 verse 7, we're told it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 37. So it's known by other names than just the tribulation period. So you have your Bibles. You're on Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 24. It's, it's necessary for us to read this to understand the purpose and time of the tribulation. Okay? Chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy of holies. So you are to know and have insight that from the going out of a, of a word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until, the, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be restored and rebuilt with plaza and moat even in the times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will make sacrifice and grain offerings cease. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So as we look at this passage, we need to understand this Daniel is speaking of 70 weeks that have been declared against your people. Your people are the Jews. Daniel's people... Uh, the nation of Israel. And Daniel 9.24 speaks of a period of time that God has given to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is God telling through the prophet Daniel what's going to happen. And so this is a 77, 77s of years, and, or 490 years. Years. This is confirmed by another part of this passage in Daniel, verses 25 and 26. Daniel is told that the Messiah will be cut off after seven sevens and 62 sevens, 69 total, beginning with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. In other words, 69 sevens of years, 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah will be cut off is what Daniel is, is writing here and God has told him to say. And biblical historians confirm that the 483 years passed from the, the, from the time of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the time when Jesus was crucified. It was 483 years, 69 of those weeks of seven. With 483 years having passed from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the cutting off of the Messiah, that leaves one seven-year period to be fulfilled in terms of Daniel 9.24. Again, to finish transgression, to put the end of sin, to atone for wickedness, 
to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. If you want to circle a passage in Scripture that you want to understand why there's a tribulation period, circle that one. Underline it. That's the whole reason for it. God will be glorified. He will reign again on this earth. Remember, who is the prince of this earth right now? It's Satan. And God will send His Son to reclaim what is rightfully His, which He purchased with His own blood. So this seven, this final seven-year period is known as the tribulation period. It is a time when God finishes judging Israel for its sin against Him. And Daniel 9.27 gives us a few highlights of the seven-year tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, He will make sacrifice and grain offerings cease. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even into a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So the person of whom this verse speaks is the person Jesus calls in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, the abomination that causes desolation. That's Matthew 24, 15. This is the person that Daniel is prophesizing about. He's also called the beast. The beast in Revelations 13. Now Daniel 9.27 says that the beast will make a covenant for seven years, but in the middle of this week, three and a half years into the tribulation, he will break the covenant, putting a stop to sacrifice. This beast is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. We'll get to that in just a moment. Revelation 13 explains that the beast will place an image of himself of the Antichrist in the temple and require the whole world to worship him. That's what happens in the middle of the three and a half weeks. Revelation 13.5 says that this will go on for 42 months, which is three and a half years, second half of the tribulation period. Since Daniel 9.27 says this is what happened in the middle of the week, and Revelation 13.5 says the beast will do this for a period of 42 months, it's easy to see that the total length of time is 84 months or seven years also in daniel 7:25, where where he writes the the time times so you got time times and a half time a time is one year equals one year times equals two years and a half a time is a half a year so that's a total of three and a half years and this refers to the great tribulation period the last half again of the seven years of tribulation it's gonna be bad the whole time, but it's going to be worse in the last half because all the deceit is gone. All the, all the veil is removed um, of, of, of to his deceit and his lies. So the tribulation is the seven-year time period in the end times in which humanity's decadence and depravity will reach its fullness. It's hard for us to imagine getting any worse. And yet it will. It will get worse. It's hard to believe. And God will judge accordingly. So when does this happen? Don't get on your edge of your seats. I'm not giving you a date and time. When does this happen? The tribulation period, we know when it, ha when it starts to happen, it happens after the rapture of the church. When will the rapture of the church happen? When God deems it to happen. We should always be ready and anticipating it. You should live your life each day as the Lord's coming back today. You should live this life that you're not ashamed of what you've done for Christ. You should live this life with the expectation that I'm living a life for His glory and not my own. But there will be signs, the Bible tells us. There will be signs. The beginning of birth pains. Matthew 24, 6, 8. Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For... Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and, a, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, living with a, a, a lovely woman and a wife who, who we were 25 years old when she gave birth to uh, my daughter. It was our first baby. And I was working evening shift at the time. And my wife had this habit of... I get home at 12, 12.30, get to bed, take my uniform off, get to bed, crawl in the bed, go to sleep, and, and never failed, she start pushing on me. Excuse me, honey, are you awake? Uh, I am now. 
well, I'm really uncomfortable and I can't sleep. So why are you bothering me? There's two of us that can't sleep. Really a sympathetic husband, right? But I remember it, you know, at first, you know, I, you, as a husband, you, you ladies have it overall. You, you get to see the joy of, and feel the joy of your child inside of you. And, and for us, it's just like we just hurry up, get it out so I can play with it, do something with it. And then my wife has to remind me that I'm supposed to talk to it when it came out. But, uh, but, but I remember the, the seeing uh, Crystal's arm or leg going across her belly. I was just fascinating. You know, just thinking, wow, that thing is there's something inside of you, babe. And as it got closer to her time, Braxton Hicks has started to come in. She started to feel more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. It, it got really, it was really you know, watching her, and we did all the Lamont stuff, you know, back in the day, they, they told us that's a great thing to do, right, ladies, right, yeah, <laughs> breathe, <laughs> I can feel, I was breathing fine, My, you know, I don't understand why you can't give birth to this baby, it's only been 24 hours, babe, come on, give us a baby, and uh, finally, they gave an epidural, and she was like, I'm never going through that stuff again with the breathing stuff, now, uh, I know you ladies do that, I'm, I'm more power to you, my wife was not one of those ladies, but all I kept remembering as I was thinking, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was thinking about those birthing pains. That wasn't the birth as they anticipated coming. It wasn't the birth. But it was letting us know the birth was coming. And you see, what God has done for us is He has led all these, like the earthquake in Turkey, the wars that we've had in our lifetime and before our lifetime, and the, the natural disasters that we see. All God is saying is those are all birth pains. That, that it's getting closer. And closer and closer until the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. You see, that, that that's a perfect illustration for us to see that in our lives, the mother giving birth. It doesn't happen until the actual birth, but there will be signs of the tribulation as they get closer. And so when we look at the time of the tribulation in the book of Revelation, it's laid out under seven seals. It's laid on the seven seals. There's a scroll that is rolled and then sealed and rolled and then sealed and rolled and then sealed and it's done this seven times. That's the way a wheel was sealed in the first century. It's the title deed to earth. And Christ is going to take that title deed to the earth, unroll it, and take back the earth from the usurper, Satan, who is worthy. We sing that, right? Is He worthy? Jesus is the one that's worthy. He's the one that will open up the seals. And every time He breaks a seal, another judgment is released upon this evil and wicked world. The world has not seen anything yet compared to what God is going to do during this seven years period. They'll have the seal judgment and the bowl judgment. And we're going to go over every one of these in the upcoming weeks. The trumpet judgment. And we're going to go through all of those as the weeks progress. So who is involved? Let's, let's look at some of the main characters. And uh, we're just going to basically get into the Antichrist and the false prophet today. Um, but we're going to talk about the Antichrist, the false prophet, the martyred saints, unbelievers, and the 144,000 witnesses and the two witnesses. We're going to be we're going to be going into those. Today we're only going to get into the Antichrist and the false prophet. So let's start with the, the Antichrist, the anti-God. Antichrist spirit has worked throughout all of human history. There, you know, w when I was younger, I thought there was only one Antichrist, and there's only one big A Antichrist, the one that would come during the same period. But there is the spirit of the Antichrist that reigns even today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, children... It is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. So has John got this wrong? No, he doesn't have it wrong. What he's saying is that, the, that, that there, there, are any, there are people out there, and we're going to see what he has to say about this, why they're Antichrist. Who are the many Antichrists? Well, he says in, verse, in chapter 4 of 1 John, Starting in verse 2, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Every 
spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. When you proclaim Christ and Him crucified, you come from God. When the Muslim comes to you, when, when, the, when the Mormon comes to you, when the Jehovah's Witness comes to you, when they come to you and, dec- and, and, and say to you that about their God, they are a form of the Antichrist. How do we know that? Because in continuing, it says, In every spirit, verse 3 of chapter 4, says, In every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Anybody who comes to you and proclaims any other gospel than what we're told to proclaim, as Paul wrote, if anybody comes to you with any other gospel than what we have taught you, even us or an angel comes to you, they are anathema, they are damned, they are cursed. God takes very seriously false teachers and false prophets. And what you have here is God clearly drawing a line in the sand. If you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, you come from God. Everybody else is the spirit of the Antichrist. Everybody else has the spirit of the Antichrist that does not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Anyone who preaches that Jesus is not the Son of God is the spirit of the Antichrist. Anyone who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Bible presents Him is inspired by the spirit of the Antichrist. You know, when you hear these progressive Christians get on there and they talk about there's no need for substitutionary atonement. There's no, there's no need for that. Christ didn't need to, to die on a cross to save anybody. And Christ would never send anybody to hell. They're all up. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And it's not coming from Christ or the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist spirit is always at work and is at work today in every false religion in every denial of the person and work of Jesus Christ as He is truly revealed in Scripture. But the final Antichrist, the one we're all focused on, will be the incarnation of all of these efforts in one person. It's the likes of which the world has never seen before this time. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it has not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the sanctuary of God, exhibiting himself as being God. He is identified as the man of lawlessness or the man of sin and the son of destruction. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. He is a lawless blasphemer. And he is what all the Antichrist will manifest himself into this one individual. He will be a culmination of all hatred towards God and hatred towards Christ and hatred towards God's people. He will be the worst blasphemer. And, and, and it, it, he will be the, the, the worst false Christ that ever existed. He will be the, the ultimate hypocrite, liar, and deceiver. He is a tool of Satan to be used to deceive this world. This individual is the most horrible embodiment of that spirit in one person. The world has not seen it. And will not see it until the day of the Antichrist. And what kind of person will, will this be? We, we're not told specifically. Oh, people will speculate. They'll say it's the Pope. And they'll say it's some, uh, some leader out there. Don't know. He could be alive today. He could be in government somewhere today. He could be a baby today. We, we don't know. He is a man. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel says that the first half of the tribulation, the Jews will make a covenant with this man, this Antichrist. And I know what some of, you know, I, I used to think, well, is he going to be like Stalin or Lenin or Adolf Hitler? You know, you think about the evilness of, of, of those men and, and, and especially Adolf Hitler. You know, it's communism, whether it was Stalin or Lenin or Mao Zedong or the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia who just wiped out millions of people. Hitler wanted to get rid of them because they were Jewish and any undesirables whether they were gypsies or they 
or those people that had mental handicaps or physical handicaps. Just get rid of them. And you think about a man sitting around a table with a bunch of other men, and they say, how do we come up with a final solution to get rid of the Jews? You think they came up with that on their own? Folks, I, that was straight from the pits of hell. I, I, I believe that, that's, uh, that Hitler was demon-possessed. That was used specifically by Satan to do as much damage as he could to God's chosen people. And you look at that evil that came out of that, and you, you know, it, it makes my it's sick. Have you ever been to the, uh, you know, I, I, I was over in Europe uh, for a time. I lived there for five years. Um, we never went to one of the, the camps, but my dad, um, he liberated one of those camps. And I remember that how it, he would cry when he would think about it. The inhumanity of man, and that's just a taste of what it's going to be like during the seven years of tribulation period. Just a small taste. Christians will be rounded up just like that. And they'll be exterminated. Just like that. But every one of those who dies will be in the presence of the Lord immediately. So he looks like, as he comes into play, he looks like one who will protect Israel in the opening of the seven years. So they make a firm covenant. He comes, he's like he's a friend of Israel. Politician. You can trust me. He acts as their protector until the middle of the seven years when he turns on them desecrates the temple, an abomination of desolation, our Lord calls it in Matthew 24. Halfway through, he shows his true colors, turns on the Jewish people, commits a defiling act in the temple, launches a great tribulation, and begins an effort to massacre the Jews and massacre all belong to Christ. He wants to get rid of them. He can't have us around. He can't have, well, not us, but Christians. He can't have Christians around. He doesn't want them there, messing up that, doing their hate speech. Matthew 24 introduces us to the false prophet as well. Some very familiar words from the Lord himself. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will all and will mislead many. Mislead many. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Again, predicting the end time in Mark chapter 13, verse 22, Scripture says that Jesus spoke and said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, if possible, the elect. So he's talking about, he's saying, they're going to be so persuasive with arguments that they could almost convince a Christian that they're speaking truth. The Antichrist, and let me set this up for you. So the Antichrist is a political and military leader. Political and military leader. The false prophet is his religious leader. So, and here we have a political power, military power, joined with a religious power. That's what's going to happen. Kind of what you see in Islamic nations, like the Taliban kind of thing going on. So the Antichrist not only has the devil and his demons on his side, now he has this false prophet that Satan gives to him. And so he has this powerful companion who promotes his power and aids him greatly by swaying the hearts of people into a satanic religion during that last three and a half years. The false prophet will cause the world to worship the Antichrist as if he were God. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that they're going to do that, but that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to look like God to them. The Antichrist will. The false prophet in the end times is described in Revelation chapter 13. Turn there in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to be starting in verse 11. The false prophet of, of, of the end times is described in Revelation chapter 13 verse 11. Someone told me if I, if I hear the page is still turning, I haven't given you enough time. So... Revelation 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he was speaking as a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast. So this is the false prophet is worshiping the Antichrist, the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. And he does great signs so that even, that even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of signs which were given to him to do in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Those who won't worship are Christians. Together with the Antichrist and Satan, who empowers both of them, the false prophet is the third party of the unholy trinity. Remember, Satan is a counterfeit. You have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And Satan is the ultimate liar and the ultimate counterfeit. The Apostle John describes the, this person and gives us clues to identify him when he shows up. First, he comes out of the earth. This is the false prophet. This could mean he comes up from the pit of hell with, with all demonic powers of hell at his command. It could also mean he comes from a lowly circumstances, secret and unknown until he burst onto the world stage at the right hand of the Antichrist. It's like a politician who comes out of nowhere. This will be the religious leader. This false prophet. He's depicted as having horns like a lamb while speaking like a dragon. The horns on lambs are merely small bumps on their heads until the lamb grows into a ram. And the false prophet comes like a lamb, non-threatening, kind probably, gentle, with persuasive words that cause sympathy and goodwill from others. He, he, may, be extraordinarily, uh, he may be an extraordinary preacher or some orator who's, who is now demonically empowered with words that will deceive the multitudes. He will be a silver-tongued devil. Revelation 12.9 identifies the dragon as the devil and Satan. And so he will speak this message of the dragon. And the great dragon was thrown down. Revelation 12.9, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Revelation 13.12 Revelation 13, gives us the false prophet's mission on earth, which is to force humanity to worship the Antichrist. That's his mission. So the Antichrist comes into power. They put up, in three and a half years, they put up a, a statue of the, of, of the, of the uh, Antichrist. The false prophet gets the world to worship him. That's his responsibility. And the false prophet is empowered by Satan himself. The Antichrist and false prophet are referred to as beast as well. And the fact that the second beast, the false prophet, uses miraculous signs and wonders, including fire from heaven, to establish the credibility of both of them would seem to indicate that people will fall before them in adoration. Their power because of their power and message that they display, they will just fall down and start worshiping them. It's hard to believe that people will do that, but that's exactly what's going to take place. Verse 14 goes on to say the deception will be so great that the people will set up an idol to the Antichrist, the image of the beast, and worship him. For those of you who are probably already thinking this, it should remind you of the huge golden image of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. Before it's all, we're to do what? Bow down and pay homage. Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to stop here. This is where I stopped in the early service, and I'm going to stop here. Revelation 14, go there, 9 through 11, describes the horrible fate that awaits those who worship the image of the Antichrist. I want you to leave this with you today because, uh, folks, if you don't know Christ, and the Lord was to come back, you would enter into the tribulation period. And I pray that, that you come to saving faith before that. But if you're, you're here then, the only way to avoid being sent to hell forever during the tribulation period is to fall before a holy God, acknowledge your sin before Him. But it's probably going to cost you your life. It will it will cause you to be persecuted and hunted down like never before the world has ever seen. Today is the time of salvation. Today is the time to come because this is what happened. Revelation 14, 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, if anyone worships the beast and his image 
and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. And he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his rage. It's referring to this loving God that people say that won't send anybody to hell. And he will be tormented, this person who receives the mark of the beast, with fire and brimstone. Don't miss this part. In the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. Do you realize that the people in hell, God Himself, Christ Himself, and the angels can see them suffering. And part of their suffering is being able to see God and not being able to enjoy the fellowship with Him. It, it is beyond our conception. And yet, there will be people here in this audience today, in this church assembled today, they will be listening online now or later on, who have chosen to, their eyes or have scales on them and you choose not to remove those scales from your eyes. Your heart is hardened and you refuse to respond to the gospel message. Your fate is to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Those are for those during the time of tribulation. But dear one, the same fate awaits those who reject Christ before the rapture of the church. You've heard the gospel. It's been presented to you over and over again, and yet you reject it, thinking somehow that you're going to be immune to this. There is a day of reckoning. Do you want justice and be sent to hell? Or do you want mercy and love from Christ who begs you to come to Him, repent of your sins, and you and I, with every other believer, will worship the King of Kings, and of the Lord of Lords forever. We will reign with Him during the millennial kingdom. You will be with Him in the new earth and when the new heaven and the new earth are created. What say you today? What say you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to think just a moment, and I'm going to tie in my email this week and what, what Jesse said. You know, th that two-year commitment. What, what, what? When you saw my email, I said if every family gave $3,000, that wall would come down next year and we would have over almost $330,000, $40,000 to start for the next building. That's between you and God. I, I, I won't know. Kathy and I put our card in today. You don't know what I put in. But I tell you, what, what you need to stop and think about is when you think about the end times and you think about the present times, what are we doing as individuals for the legacy, our legacy for Christ? It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take sacrifice to do what God has called us to do here. I just told you, 17 years ago, in the month of February, Kathy and I stood in front of the church at Swift Creek, and they laid hands on us, and they, and they agreed that they would sponsor Grace Harvest Baptist Church. We've gone from meeting in a cafeteria with 20-some people to buying land with 30-some people to moving into this building with 60-some people. And every time we've done it, there have been people out there that says you can't do it. We had bankers tell us we couldn't get the loan. And yet God provided. We built this building during the recession. We built the other one during a pandemic. And so, folks, as, as we come to this place in the history of this church, we, we need to make a decision. How, how will we respond to what God has called Grace Harvest to do, to be an outpost in the middle of a, a world that's dying around us? That the truth is not preached and proclaimed. I keep hearing it over and over and over again from people that visit our church and become members here. They learn stuff here. They've been in the churches 20, 30, 40 years and they never hear what's preached from this pulpit or taught in the Sunday school classes. That shouldn't be a strange thing. And yet it is. It'll take sacrifice. 
If every family could give that 3000 I know some can't, and, and I'm not trying to shame anybody. This is between you and the Lord, but sometimes sacrifice is needed. I just, I just pray that God continues to use this place. And that we be obedient to Him. And today, as we close out this message, this, again, this is more of a teaching series than preaching series. But the gospel was proclaimed. And I would be amiss if I didn't ask you here today, if you haven't received Christ, has God called you this very hour? Has that heart of stone been then turned into a heart of flesh? Has a dead man, a dead woman cried out to Christ saying, Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I want to turn from my sins and I want to trust in your Son for salvation. The Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and rose from the dead and sits at the right hand, you will be saved. Others of you that you've been visiting a while and God has called you to be a member of Grace Harvest Baptist Church. Not the perfect church, but a church that stands on the Word of God and His Word alone. Oh, a church that makes mistakes, a pastor who lets people down, a pastor who makes mistakes. It's not a perfect place, but it is a place that seeks to put Christ first. Others of you have not followed the Lord in believers' baptism. You've believed in Him. You've confessed Him as Lord and Savior never followed Him in believers' baptism. Whatever your decision day, I pray that you make it known publicly to me. Father, we are so blessed, we who are called your children. We are co-heirs of Christ. And Lord, everything that you bestowed upon the Son, you have promised to us, is beyond my comprehension, and yet you have shown that mercy and grace to us. Lord, help us to live for you each and every day. Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you, Father. Help us to be focused on what you would have us to do. Lord, I pray for the one or two that do not know you as Lord and Savior. God, that they would come to saving faith. I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In just a moment, I'll stand up front. You come as the Lord leads. Don't leave this place without doing business with God. You come, Pastor Cal.